Welcome to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for people like you who care about the social impact of conscious companies and everyday heroes. Hear inspiring stories from those who put people and planet before profit and personal gain. You'll learn how you can make a difference, vote with your dollars, and get involved today. Here's your host, Karina Belizzi. Hello and welcome, fellow Regenerators. Today, I have a treat for you as I get to dig into land, the fourth section of this innovative work by Paul Hawken in Regeneration, ending the climate crisis in one generation. Before we begin this journey into the book, I'd like to invite everyone to visit caremorebebetter.com and join our email list. Once you do that, you will receive a really incredible tool in your email box with your first welcome email. So if you want to be a part of the change, if you want to support climate health and regeneration, this could be one tool to help you get there. All right, let's dig in. The magic of soil is something that we are yet to fully comprehend. It holds with it a solution that can sequester 25% of the carbon in our atmosphere, drawing it down into the roots, fungi, and microbes that exist in rich earth. The earliest known soil is 3.7 billion years old. It was a home for the first algae plants that made their way from waterways to land, adapting to their new home and becoming the first terrestrial plants. Without organic matter, earth is simply dirt. So it is with mutualism or mutual relationships that soil is born. We have a responsibility to protect the complex nature of land because it gives us food. It holds water for drier times. It sequesters carbon and it plays a role in the small water cycle that creates rain, giving us new, purified water to squelch dry earth. If we hardscape our planet, deplete our soils, and continue to extract its resources without giving back, then guess what? Earth will survive us, but we won't survive the climate that we have created. The good news is that we can take action. We can heal the earth. We can build solutions to regenerate our oceans, waterways, forests, and wild spaces. Regeneration, ending the climate crisis in one generation, provides the roadmap. In our first three sessions, we covered the first three chapters of the book, Oceans, Forests, and Wilding. In our fourth installment, we reviewed Regeneration.org and the resources that Nexus provides to continue our educational path and inspire action. Today, we dive back into the book and its fourth chapter, Land. Now, in this midsection of the book, we finally arrive at a discussion of regenerative agriculture. This is perfect timing because this week I'll interview Tom Newmark, former CEO of New Chapter, a well-known vitamin company, and also the co-founder of The Carbon Underground, a not-for-profit focused on regenerative agriculture's ability to sequester carbon. The timing couldn't be more perfect. So if you're listening to this now, I will have just live-streamed that episode yesterday, I'm sure you can find the unedited version on YouTube, possibly also on LinkedIn and even Facebook. So for now, I'll go back to this book and let's talk land. Here's a quote from page 96. When you gather a teaspoon of healthy soil, you have at hand one of the most complex living systems on earth, one that in less than 150 years has been degraded by industrial agriculture. Roughly 35% of all carbon dioxide emissions generated by human activities since 1850 were caused by farming and degeneration, end quote. But how can regenerative agriculture really save us? 
It's through the simple ability to draw carbon down into the roots of plants, the microbes, and fungi, the living creatures that live in soil and the creatures that feed upon them, that holds this important key. The term regenerative agriculture was coined by an organic farming advocate, Robert Rodale, roughly 40 years ago, but its roots are actually in indigenous culture. Indigenous people around the globe understood the relationship between grazing animals and their ability to fertilize the land. They buried biological charcoal to recarbonize, fertilize, and improve water capture of the earth. Importantly, they didn't tear down forests to monocrop great swaths of land. They ensured the resiliency of their land. They may have even hosted controlled burns to keep the underbrush at bay so their forests could be healthy. Quote, Though regenerative agriculture is complex and intricate, it is based on clearly defined principles and can be implemented by farmers and ranchers the world over. Importantly, its yields can be commensurate with or greater than traditional agriculture, with higher future returns due to enhanced soil resiliency and productivity. That was from page 97. Today, farmers are waking up to the reality that traditional agriculture isn't getting them anything. Those that transition to regenerative practices incur increases in costs for a couple of years, sure, but that's followed by incredible gains. Their soil stores and retains more water. They lower their costs. The erosion that may have dried their land out too early in the season halts. They can get out of debt. Their plants and animals are even healthier, more resistant to disease. So what exactly is regenerative agriculture? What are its core tenets? First, you must recarbonize the soil. This means you have to stop using chemical fertilizers and pesticides that kill the microbes and destroy the complex living nature of the soil. As Paul Hawken states, soil is community, not a commodity. Second, limit disturbance. This means a no-till approach to farming because plowing destroys the soil structure, tears apart the roots and fungi mycelium, releases carbon and reduces soil moisture. It's a recipe for disaster. Third, cover the soil through the use of cover crops. Earth never wants to be bare, so providing a cover crop to help retain its moisture, draw carbon into its roots, and support the complex soil is critical. Some cover crops are used to encourage grazing by animals who fertilize the soil. Others are literally crops to be harvested, like fava beans, chickpeas, beans, and turnips. Fourth, hydrate the soil. Invariably, carbon-rich soils hold more water, so the cycle continues. Fifth, put creatures on the land, as they will fertilize and provide more organic matter, which provides more food for microbes and fungi, sequestering more carbon, which improves production and yield, and which retains more moisture in the land. And lastly, recognize one idea is simply true. Soil health is plant health is human health. They are all connected. These are big ideas, and our ancestors would not be surprised. Half the reason most of us now supplement our diets by taking pills is simply that our soils and foods don't contain the levels of nutrients that they once did. Minerals are depleted from our soils, brought on by the industrial agricultural complex. It's time for a big change in our habits on a massive and global scale. But what do we do about the soil and land that we've degraded? Well, let's restore it. As Paul points out, dry lands often have nutrient-poor soils and lack organic matter, which makes them prone to erosion. And that was from page 103. Primary causes for this dry land are overgrazing, tree removal, tillage, and biofuel production. 
If we do not restore these lands, they will continue to dry, becoming parched earth and even desert. Quote, the default mode of nature is regeneration. It is not the land that is broken, but our relationship to it. Nature has been recovering from disturbances for eons, including floods, fires, hurricanes, volcanic eruptions, and even an occasional asteroid strike. The natural world renews itself. Page 103. But the natural recovery cycle has been severely compromised by us, so it may take human assistance or intervention to help it heal. Bill Zedike, a retired wildlife biologist with the U.S. Forest Service, developed a toolbox to help restore degraded land. By slowing water drainage through circuitous pathways, more water seeps into the land. This induced meandering, as he calls it, helps halt erosion and reintroduce sediment to degraded land. Plants take root. Soil microbes begin to do their thing. Insects return. With that, the animals that eat them do as well. More organic matter is introduced and restoration has begun. And as we think about our role in restoring degraded land, there is another human solution, compost. Organic matter destined for landfill becomes anaerobic. It becomes simply waste. Buried in landfill, it decays, creating methane and releasing it into the atmosphere. This is the opposite of what we should be doing. The good news is that composting is easy and compost returns the nutrients of what was in the soil to start with back to where it originated. It's easy, especially if you have any dirt to work with at home. Here's how we create compost in my home. We have a three-gallon lidded bucket under my sink. We put all our coffee grinds and coffee filters, tea, food scraps, citrus peels, eggshells, all of that goes into the bin. Some of our food waste our dog consumes. Now, we don't put our animal waste in the outdoor compost. That goes into the underdeveloped part of our land where the scat becomes part of the normal nutrient cycle of the chaparral forest that abuts our home. We're lucky that way. We have an outdoor composting system made from a recycled plastic. You feed new compost into the top and take out the old from the bottom. It sits on the land directly, which enables worms, beetles, and other bugs to enter from the bottom and also do their part, making this a vermiculture mecca. We've had our compost bin for about 10 years, and we do have to turn it manually, but I really like that it touches the earth because we have earthworms readily available. So we even get black gold from that. I'll include a link to one like ours in show notes so you can take a look, see if it's something you'd be interested in doing. We mix our food scraps with oak leaves as our brown matter, along with scraps of paper from time to time. I use the compost to enrich our soil for healthier fruit trees, strawberries that I grow as ground cover, and we even produce more compost than we need from time to time. I introduce it into the forest. Our oak trees and our Douglas fir thrive. Barn owls, crows, and squirrel abound, as do burrowing critters and insects. A big question is asked on page 105. Could spreading a thin layer of organic compost across the planet's vast grasslands address the climate crisis? According to scientists at the University of California, Berkeley, if a half-inch layer of compost were applied to only 5% of California's nearly 60 million acres of rangeland, it could offset greenhouse gas emissions produced by the state's agriculture and forestry sector for an entire year. They discovered that the compost significantly increased plant growth, improved the water holding capacity of the soil, and boosted the sequestration of atmospheric carbon underground. End quote. So perhaps this is our start. 
Instead of sending our food scraps to landfill, we do what the city of San Francisco has done. In 2009, they became the nation's first municipal service to require separation of all organic material, which has resulted in diverting 80% of their trash from landfills to composting sites, where hundreds of thousands of tons of organic material is processed each year. Taking an action like this would make composting the norm instead of something that only the most motivated individuals do. The national reality in the USA is actually quite bad. 96% of food waste is landfilled or incinerated. If we change our habits and our local processing of waste, we might just be able to cover degraded land with life-promoting compost. And let's remember, the whole concept of regeneration is centered on that one thing. We need to put life at the center of every decision we make and every action we take. So let's think about this. If we were able to do all of these things, How quickly would the rain return? This is a big question, and the reality is we may not know. But where has it all gone? Here in California, the forests around me are the driest that I ever remember them being. Our reservoirs are running dry. We do need rain. Here I learned something entirely new reading this book. Paul starts this section with the kind of optimism that sometimes brings up the skeptic in me, but it's something I really appreciate. He states, People can make rain cool down the planet, rehydrate the land, and turn its deserts green. It starts with imagination. And here's where the science gets really cool. Plants contribute water to the clouds. They contribute microbes. These microbes cause participation over land. So it follows that more plants equals more rainfall. By ceasing deforestation, Initiating reforestation and afforestation projects, like those that we covered in our episode on forests, we can create more rain. And by integrating more carbon in our soils, we can create nutrient-dense land that stores more water, creating a seedbed for new plants and fungi that will support the small water cycle so we can rebuild a living system that supports its own regeneration. This is a return to nature. It may be a tall ask in some ways, but it is so very doable. Paul closes this chapter with something else that really surprised me. He teaches us about the wonders of biochar, which is a type of supercharged charcoal that we can create with organic materials such as wood, grain stalks, and grasses. It's heated slowly under high heat with very little exposure to oxygen. Instead of escaping, the carbon becomes secured and trapped in the biochar itself. It can then be integrated and the land to increase carbon content of soils, which then increases the amount of water land can hold, and also crop yields. He details a surprising story of Doug Pow, who decided to feed biochar to his cows, who would then leave behind carbon-rich dung. They introduced dung beetles, and the dung beetles buried the dung 15 inches underground, securing the carbon-rich material deep. By doing this, the soil was aerated, The carbon is stored and secured deep in the earth. Undisturbed, plant roots and mushroom mycelium feed on it. It's one of the most interesting regeneration stories I have yet heard. Carefully architecting a new ecosystem using natural moving parts to store carbon and promote life. And not only that, the cows who ingested that carbon, they were healthier. They were less prone to sickness and they produced less methane, 10% less in fact his soil stores more water. His avocados are more fruitful. 
He has harnessed the power of a natural symbiotic relationship between animals, insects, and plants, and he's figured out a great use for his plant waste, creating the carbon sequestering biochar in the first place. This is a full circle miracle. Recently, biochar's use is expanding beyond agriculture. It can be added to concrete, reducing cracking and increasing resistance to erosion. And remember, it sequesters carbon. It locks it up. And when we do that, we are ensuring the future health of our planet. When we draw down additional carbon by having healthy soil, we are ensuring the future health of our planet. As we close this chapter, we're introduced to a great example, Charles Massey. He wrote a book called Call of the Reed Warbler. With this story, we learn about a man who grew up in the conventional farming world, but who went on a deep quest to learn more, to harness the knowledge of nature itself, of indigenous people, of biosystems and energy flow. He details his lifelong journey to understand nature and how his perspective changed completely when he saw how regenerative practices could return lushness to land, even in drought years, increasing biodiversity and bringing the reed warbler back to a region for the first time in over 150 years of mismanagement. I hope you've enjoyed this deep dive into Paul Hawkins' regeneration, ending the climate crisis in one generation. So now I'd like to invite each of you to act. You don't have to do a ton, but I do think you'd enjoy a visit of regeneration.org, the website that accompanies this book. You will notice a section called Nexus. You could listen to or even watch my coverage of the site by visiting part four of this regeneration journey. You could do that either through the podcast or on YouTube and walk through with me. It's being continually updated, so you might even want to check back from time to time. I'd love to invite you to sign up for my newsletter. You'll get that download link that I mentioned at the top of the show, providing five actionable steps to help you on your activist journey. Thank you listeners now and always for being a part of this pod and this community, because together we really can do so much more. We can care more and be better, and we can regenerate Earth. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good. Thank you.